0: Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. I'm Maria Espadinha, Senior Reporter of FT Advisor and Financial Advisor. Joining me today is Simon Harrington, Senior Policy Advisor at the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, and Alistair Cunningham, Financial Planning Director at Wingate Financial Planning. Hi to both.
1: Thanks for having us on. Hello. Cheers.
0: We will be discussing um, contingent charging structures used in pension transfer advice, the regulator's position in this area and if the market should expect a ban anytime soon. I will start with you Simon and ask you what is your view on the contingent charging structure issue and if you think there should be a ban or not.
1: So our position on this is is relatively clear I would hope. We don't believe that there should currently be a ban on contingent charging implementing a ban may lead to unintended consequences in the market Uh, specifically we are concerned that it would ultimately uh, make people turn away from financial advice, we are concerned that it has the potential to actually increase the probability of insistent clients and we actually take the view that it may in turn lead to worse outcomes than those who would say that it is the worst thing uh, available in the market at the moment are are currently existing. Mm -hmm.
0: Alistair, what is your view on the possibility of a ban? Do you agree with the arguments Simon made?
2: Not in a nutshell. I think the the outcome of my views is the same. Uh, I don't think a a ban achieves anything. Um, However, I don't agree for it for the same reasons as Simon. A ban on contingent charging uh, is easily gained, um, so people would just end up charging small, non-contingent vice fees, in inverted commas, and end up uh, still front-end loading, back-end loading. They want to um, charge for implementation, essentially. Um, I, I, I don't follow the logic that um, somehow it's excluding numbers of people giving advice, because nothing stops somebody facilitating fees through pension at point of retirement, which I think is one of Simon's point, if that's appropriate for them. I also don't follow the logic about insistent clients. What we're really talking about when we entertain the discussion around the contingent charging ban is biases. And I think contingent charging is just one of many, many different biases that an advisor will have. And what we really should be thinking about is how does a firm maintain and control what biases they're exposed to and how that will not ultimately end in consumer detriment.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's a good question. How can a firm then, um, I would ask that to Simon, Because the main part of the contingent charge or behind of the contingent charging ban is that the advisors that use such structure might be more inclined to uh, recommend more people to transfer out. So how do you prevent that from happening if there's a contingent charge in place?
1: There are already processes in place are set by the regulator. If an advisor is minded to advise on a transfer, the advisor will do it anyway, regardless of the way in which the advisor charges. If the advisor follows the suitability requirements are set out by the regulator, then they should be making prudent decisions which are ultimately in the interests of the customer, the client, or whatever you want to call them.
0: And do you agree there can be a way of gaming a ban, as Alistair was was mentioning?
1: I mean, obviously, we are not singing from the same hymn sheet, but it's a very Sort of similar one. I think the point that Alistair makes is absolutely spot on. When we talk about the unintended consequences of a ban on contingent charging, this is ultimately one of them. There is a train of thought which pervades certain circles in this debate, which basically goes if you eliminate contingent charging, then ultimately everybody ends up getting great outcomes and bad advisors will disappear from the market. Bad advisors are bad advisors. They take up a very small proportion of what is otherwise a very well-meaning, extremely highly professional set of people, but they do exist. If you remove this they will find another way.
0: Question for you, Alistair. Um, I imagine after what you said, you don't work on a contingent charging basis.
2: Well, no, uh, that actually would be an um, incorrect assumption. Uh, but our, the contingent element of our fees is very small. Uh, probably worth explaining that because um, effectively we charge for each day the advice we give. So we charge first and foremost for a cash flow plan uh, or if we're charging for um, pension transfer work, obviously for the APTA and the relevant work around whether somebody should or should not switch. Then we charge for the... Product recommendation but that would be a separate, and then we charge for implementation. So implementation, which is a very small part of our overall fees, typically less than ten percent, is actually strictly a contingent charge. We're happy that it is commensurate to the work we're doing, but nevertheless, if we give advice and someone says, "Thank you very much for the advice, but I'm going to self-implement or do something completely different or change my mind," they will pay all of our fees up to that point, which as I say is probably about ninety percent of the cost. They will not be paying the implementation fee, which is contingent.
0: Have you ever had a client that told you, I want advice, but I cannot pay the fee that you're asking me because the money that I will have to pay that comes from my pension, which is the classic case against the ban to contingent charging?
2: No, in a nutshell, uh, I, I can't think of a client. I mean, obviously, we're probably at the top end of advice in terms of value and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm certainly not dismissing it as being a non issue, but there, there's no client that's come to me looking for advice who ultimately said they're not going to proceed because they can't afford to pay our fees.
0: (laughs) Why are we still discussing, um, this might be a question for for you, Simon, why are we still discussing this today if the regulator, the FCA has come out with their consultation paper on this. They put out their opinion and we're still discussing this today. Was their position not clear enough?
1: Well, no. I mean, it it wasn't particularly clear from memory. I think their position was at this point in time, we do not see enough evidence to justify a ban on on a contingent charge. Everybody knows why we are still discussing this. We are human beings and, and, and we react to human stories and pension transfers as a concept as a thing the the way in which advisors charged the activities of advisors came about because of a very human story it is something that we shouldn't ignore you know if, if i'm not sort of being clear with my subtext obviously i'm, I'm talking about british still and Port Talbot. what we have sort of said the whole way through this process is that we should not let the actions and the events of what happened in Port Talbot colour the way in which this industry is perceived. And unfortunately, there are people who perceive this industry as being in the same boat as some of the advisers that we saw saw in Port Talbot. And I do think that is a shame.
0: If I'm not mistaken, the advisers, well, at least the main in well, that firm was not doing contingent charges. No,
1: they weren't. Not, not to my knowledge. But I mean, we, we've we all read the Rooks report and, and we know that the most active advisers in, in this space were not actually charging contingently what they were doing is charging a very small upfront fee and then investing the monies elsewhere does a ban on contingent charging stop that no, it doesn't. Does it make that activity more prevalent? Yes, it absolutely does.
0: Alistair, what do you think about the FCA's position on this topic? Do you think it should be more blunt in telling what advisors should do relating to contingent charging? No,
2: I don't think it should be blunt at all. Um, I don't think they should dictate the way that advisors want to charge and run their firm. Um, what the FCA will be most interested in is outcomes. Um, and the outcome, as we've discussed, is high quality advice, uh, particularly in this, in this transfer space. As I said earlier, what we're talking about is biases. And Looking more broad, we talk about Port Talbot and and, and obviously there was one case, uh, ostensibly not contingent, where the greatest harm uh, has been caused, mainly because of the investment solutions recommended. But there are other biases going on in Port Talbot. We're talking about the average uh, steel worker having transfers of around £400,000 in an area where that is disproportionate uh, above other wealth they may have, like property wealth. So one of the most relevant biases, I think. Uh, is that advisors in that area uh, will be looking at many, many, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of people in some cases coming in with more wealth than ever going to be seen in that area uh, historically and probably ever again. Um, And and, and the bias there is nothing to do with contingent charging, it's assets under management. And I think part of the reason why we've seen poor outcomes uh, and people being transferred uh, for marginal reasons, uh, i.e. not necessarily any worse off, but not clearly better off, is because they can, in inverted commas, make it work. That's the opposite case you should be looking at with a, with a, with a final salary transfer. Mm-hmm. You should be looking for, in the main, all the reasons why somebody shouldn't transfer rather than the one or two reasons why they should. And, and that has nothing to do with contingent charging. It's a very significant bias. It's causing, uh, or has caused, over the last four years, Um, significant consumer harm and that is one of several biases that advisors and uh, and advisory firms should control and whilst the FCA can look at what it means, i.e. too many people transferring that shouldn't, um, it's not really for them to regulate the input Um, more to regulate the
0: output. Um, Simon, one question that has been mentioned is if there's any kind of correlation between uh, PI insurance renewal and the charging structures practiced by the advice firm. Have you seen any kind of examples that someone practicing contingent charging can have a worse policy because of that?
1: I actually haven't. I'm sure it does exist, but I haven't sort of gone out and spoken to sort of every advisor who's done their PI renewals and, and asked their charging structures what... I do know having sort of fortunately or unfortunately depending on sort of your views on the place uh having spent quite a lot of time in cardiff earlier on this year uh sort of speaking to quite a lot of advisors who had done pension transfers in the past and their pi renewals had gone up exponentially compared to uh to two years previous obviously there are other reasons behind this some PI underwriters basically leaving the market altogether but in terms of whether or not it's impacting on PI renewals more broadly what I can say with an element of confidence is that yes in terms of people who've done pension transfer business, whether or not that is dictated by their charging structure, I wouldn't be able to say.
0: Alistair, do you have any kind of views on this on this matter?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I have uh, a slightly unique view because not only do uh, we obviously have professional indemnity insurance, um, I have a number of clients who uh, run professional or involved with professional indemnity MGAs and underwriters. Um, So I actually talk to them about the things that they're worried about. I think the nature of PI is it's always backward-looking, and uh, one of the things that obviously PI insurers may struggle with is working out the correlation between behaviours and and, and the rise for a a claim. Uh, What do I mean by that? They look at a whole bunch of factors, and we can obviously see uh, things going wrong as we speak with final salary transfers, and they themselves can't pin uh, the reasons for transferring um, on any one factor. So they start to ask questions that are relevant, in some cases may not be relevant, to why a claim has been brought about. So you'll see things, obvious things like how many people have you transferred, uh, what the values were, were they insistent clients, and all that sort of thing. And you'll start to see questions about contingent charging. Will it make a difference to um, premiums? It's almost impossible to judge. Um, and actually, the best way to ask that question would be. Um, to ask a PI insurer. I think there's so many variables that they're looking at, things like the PFS gold standard for transfers and all that sort of thing, that if you are genuinely interested in working in this space, i.e. giving advice on DB transfers, and uh, want to have the lowest possible premium you can, um, then it will be things like getting rid of a contingent charging structure, um, things like electing for the PFS uh, gold st- transfer standard, and all those things in the round are probably going to make you a better insurance risk.
0: Um, one other question is that uh, Frank Field has been very active in, in in trying to bring a continued charging ban, and he, FT advisor, did report on them. He's saying that if the FCA doesn't act, if Treasury doesn't act, he will try to bring some amendments to this future pensions bill, which we're not sure when we are going to see it, but mm. to bring in a ban. Do you think that advisors should be worried about that? Is that a real possibility, Simon?
1: I'm Well, I mean, I guess there are two questions here. I mean, do, do I think that Frank Field, who, let's be sort of extremely clear here, is an incredibly sort of distinguished and well-meaning and thorough politician, would be capable of sort of laying amendments to basically contribute to what he would consider to be a better regulatory system? Yes, I have no doubt that that is the case. Do I think there's going to be a pensions bill anytime soon? Absolutely not. Ultimately, my view, and it is my view, it isn't the view of my organisation, is that this is an issue for the FCA. The FCA need to take this away and have real evidence to support a ban if, if they think one is warranted. It isn't necessarily clear to me that the Work and Pension Select Committee has the evidence that it should have in order to be going around intervening in markets that it isn't clear to me they necessarily understand.
0: Alistair, what's your view on this? Not the sort of thing I
2: can see going through as primary legislation. Nevertheless, if politicians feel strongly about it, not beyond their wit and wisdom to apply pressure to the FCA to um, introduce something that either, even if it's not formally a ban, informally achieves the same aim. But as I say, what we're really talking about here is the very low standard of pension transfer advice for the last four years. I think that's naturally improving, not least because the quantity of advice is reducing. Um, and I, I think a contingent charging ban will achieve very little to accelerate the um, improvement of quality advice in that area.
0: I guess we'll have to wait and see. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Alistair, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us this week's edition of FT Advisor Podcast. See you again next week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.